I'm sitting in the minister's office, waiting to discuss my future. I'm 26 years old, and I've got this sense of a vocational call, a sense of the work to which I would like to dedicate my life. There was no lightning bolt epiphany, no dream conversation with God. And while I had my doubts, I could not shake the feeling that I had discovered something. I had discovered a calling to the Unitarian Universalist ministry as a second career. And this left me with a big question on my hands. What was my first career gonna be? <laughs> I had had various jobs, but nothing that could be called a career yet. Of course, I could not go directly into ministry. Clearly, I needed to have this other first career experience first, where I just got a lot of experience in everything. And clearly, I needed to find someone to marry and to have kids first, because that would make me wise about life. And clearly, I was way too young. The other ministers I'd met seemed like the Doogie Hauser genius types, and that was not me. I wasn't even sure what exactly I believed. But I did feel this pull towards ministry. On some level, it felt like what I was made for. And at the same time, I felt entirely unequipped to actually do anything that a minister does, besides maybe shaking hands after a service. <laughs> Hence the need to discover my first career. So there I sat, waiting to speak with the minister, hoping for some guidance. Back in 900 BCE, in the ancient Near East of the Bible, Another young person in his 20s was hoping for some guidance. But this guy needed guidance on a whole different level than my first career, second career ponderings. Solomon had to deal with the enormous responsibility of becoming the third king of Israel. And things had not gone very well with his first two predecessors. The reign of the first king, Saul, was a mess. And then came Solomon's father, David, who had great promise, but he missed the mark in so many ways. And then Solomon found himself in charge of his people, and quite understandably, he was terrified. Yet we see the wisdom in his response to his own fears. The story goes that God appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask me for whatever you want me to give to you. And Solomon didn't posture and pretend that he had it all figured out. Nah, it's cool, God. I got this. Nope, he did not say that. Solomon admitted that he was very young and inexperienced, and he had no idea what he was doing. But he didn't ask to be rescued or to be relieved of his position. Instead, Solomon requested a discerning heart. At least that's how it's translated in the version of the Bible that we heard this morning. The Hebrew words that Solomon wished for literally are lev shomea, and the literal translation is a listening heart. Solomon was confronted with a job description that would make most people run crying in the other direction, 
and he asked for a listening heart. In the ancient Hebrew of Solomon's time, different parts of the body represented different feelings, just like they do today. So the nose represented anger. You can think of flaring nostrils like an angry bull. The right arm, strength. And the heart was not just associated with love and emotions, but the heart was where will and intention lived. The heart was a place of strength. Solomon asked for a listening heart. He asked that the home of his will, his intention, his strongest feelings be open, listening, and receptive. To me, this is the ultimate prayer of discernment. A prayer asking that the center of our will and intention, that it quiet down and listen. Listen for the melody of authenticity and right living among the cacophony of day-to-day -day living. Showing us our role in the greater order of things. To be receptive, we must first wake up. And this is the center of most major religious traditions, so clearly it's not an easy thing to do. And as you may have noticed, it's very easy to sleepwalk through our days, plodding along, carefully constructing a life that looks like what we've been told it's supposed to look like. And we hear that we're too young or too old or too big or too loud, and then maybe we back off. We spend enormous energy accommodating the messages that we really should be married or have kids or get this type of education or present this kind of gender identity or act more like someone of our race or ethnicity should act. We could easily spend all of our time, our money, all our lives making ourselves as easy to digest as possible. And surely someone is making a lot of money off of us staying in our place and playing our role. And we expend all this energy in service to what? In service to what? What would it look like to set aside the scripts that have been handed to you and to yield, to surrender to what calls you? Annie Dillard offered us a picture of this in her reading this morning. She says, the thing is to stalk your calling in a certain supple and skilled way, to locate the most tender and live spot and plug into that pulse. This is yielding, not fighting. A weasel doesn't attack anything. A weasel lives as he's meant to, yielding at every moment to the perfect freedom of single necessity. I think it would be well and proper and obedient and pure to grasp your one necessity and not let it go, to dangle from it limp wherever it takes you, and then even death where you're going no matter how you live, cannot you part. Seize it and let it seize you up aloft. What do you love so deeply 
What calls you so fundamentally that you would be obeying your true nature to seize it and to let it seize you up aloft? This isn't asking about how to maximize your happiness or what you do for work. This isn't quite asking what are you willing to die for, but instead, what are you living for? Or to put it in Annie Dillard's terms, what is the eagle to your weasel? Out of everything you can see out on the expansive landscape of your life, what do you choose to stubbornly attach to, to commit yourself to, until your very bones unhinge and scatter over field and woods? In your dying moments, what would you look back on and feel glad that you hung on for the whole ride? This is the question that came to Rabbi Zusia in his dreams. Zusia realized that in the end, the measure of a life well-lived wasn't how much it looked like someone else's life well-lived. Even Moses or Joshua in the end, the measure of a life well-lived is the degree to which you have responded to the call to share your gifts and authentically show up with compassion, generosity, and strength in the ways that you uniquely can. And in that moment back in the minister's office when I discovered my second career, which became my first career, this is what I was on the cusp of realizing. The fact that following my call didn't mean that my ministry would look like someone else's ministry. And lucky for me, the minister I'd sought out reminded me that I wasn't expected to know what I believed or what exactly my ministry would look like, and that's what seminary was for. <laughs> and that my youth was not just a liability to be waited out, it could be an asset and that I could potentially spend decades of my life deepening my skills and better serving our people and our religious movement. He reminded me of the greater process, that I wasn't just going to turn around and discover a fully matured, well-articulated version of my vocation just sitting there and waiting for me. Responding to what calls us and discerning our next steps is a dance a dance that takes place in the tension between two very different modes. This dance asks us to dwell in the tension between the receptive, listening heart of King Solomon and the tenacious, unrelenting grasp of the weasel. And in this dance, this interplay between nuance and boldness, between receptivity and zealous pursuit, in this dance is where we learn to live the life that we were meant to live. This is the tension into which creativity and possibility are born. And I have to say, I love the music that our pianist, Jared Wendland, selected for us this morning, because it's the music of Nikolai Kapushnin, a Soviet composer who defied all conventions during a time during a regime that rigidly controlled music. The jazz music that Kapushtin loved was regarded with suspicion and disdain. 
and despite all the pressure to adhere to the mold of acceptable music, Kapushkin followed his call and he did something very unusual and innovative. He fused traditional classical structure with jazz idiom, taking the classical and the jazz and creating a unique hybrid that was all his own. So as we consider the dance of discernment that moves between the listening heart and the clutches of the weasel, Kapushkin's leapingly soulful music is the perfect companion. Thank you, Jared. <laughs> so I've posed a lot of questions. And it is much easier to pose questions than it is to grapple with them, or even more intimidating, to dare to answer them. And as I've sat with these questions and imagined my own legacy, imagine the eagles that I want to go to my grave holding on to, these were the pieces that felt clear to me for my life. I am called to spend my life fiercely loving my family and loving friends into family and loving strangers into friends. I am called to spend my life turning people towards each other, engaging in practices that reveal our shared human experience in such a way that we might save each other's lives save each other's lives through gestures great and small, and feel awe and wonder at this amazing life that we share. And if I am to do this as myself and as no other, I will use my enthusiasm, my curiosity, my voice, my love of people, and I'll do it in community, and I will find a way to have fun. If I looked back on my life and I saw that these were the eagles that I clung to, I could say that I was not Moses or Joshua or Zeusia, but that I had been Elaine. Every day we are offered a thousand opportunities to conform, to consume, to tune out and turn away from the eagle that calls our true self. Every day we place another small tile in the mosaic of our legacy with receptive listening hearts and a tenacious weasel grasp, let us seize what calls us and let it seize us up aloft. May it be so and amen. <laughs>